Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number three. And today we're joined by Vicky Cornick from Victory Fitness. And Vicky has an extremely inspiring, emotional, and very honest portrayal of how she underwent and battled through an eating disorder. We talk about the early stages, how she really felt, her emotions that she had when she really understood how serious the eating disorder really was. And what got her through it? What got her to the end line? Her, her close circle of friends and family, but also how important fitness was in, in getting her to this end, end line. So hopefully you guys can take something from this, enjoy the podcast, and let me know what you think. Hey guys, how are we getting on? So welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number three. And today we're joined by Vicky Cornick. How are you, Vicky? I am good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and uh and talking to us today and um for those who don't know vicky has a new gym up and running in 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 the name of victory fitness isn't it called yes yeah it looks like it's absolutely booming at the moment how's it going it's going great it's certainly been a journey to get set up um i had the plan of opening in april but we went on lockdown in march so that was put on hold for a while so not even open a month. Uh, the 20th of July, we opened our doors. So yeah, it's been all go since then, but uh, very successful so far, which I'm really happy about. Yeah, it looks it looks great. And, and like like we were talking off air there a second ago, very good kit, all looks really nice, nice color schemes as well. I noticed looks really, really good. Yeah. Yes, that's my my key thing, just to keep it clean. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So just just a little bit of an insight into into you, your journey through the fitness world, and and a little bit of insight and what's behind uh, Victory Fitness. Yeah, so um, I am in the industry not very long compared to a lot of people, like three and a half years. Um, so I was brought up playing tennis at quite a high level, um, and I ended up moving to Florida in my fourth um, year of secondary school, so transition year to train at a tennis academy um, and I lived there for two years um, unfortunately in my second year over there I got quite sick I developed an eating disorder and had to come home and I ended up being hospitalized for 14 weeks so three and a half months um, and then came out of hospital and which I'm sure we'll get into but a lot of people think that you're better when you get out of hospital um, and that wasn't the case that's kind of when recovery really starts so I had to work on that a lot Um, and then I was going into sixth year uh, the equivalent of sixth year and I was torn do I go back to the states or do I stay in Dublin and start school again so I started school again in Dublin but the school system is like completely different to um, how it is in the states so I found it really hard I had to learn Irish again and I just found there was a lot of pressure and I started getting really anxious again. And I kind of started going backwards with my mental health. So um, I ended up leaving school and, and I got my personal training qualification and started working. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I never knew you actually went or you were in Florida at all and how, how that kind of started and playing tennis yeah. over there. Yeah. So I was playing tennis over there and I was playing here doing like the Irish tournaments, the odd time going to Europe to play um, in ITFs, so International Tennis Federation tournaments. And I really, I didn't really want to do transition year. I felt it was kind of a waste of a year. Um, Or if I was to do it, I wanted to do something that was out of the ordinary. So 
I had come across this school. It was previously the um, Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy. So there had been, there's been a lot of professional tennis players that have gone through the school. Um, and now it's owned by a company called ING and it's basically turned into a sports academy. So there's basketball, baseball, lacrosse, golf, tons of sports. Um, and it's a boarding school environment from, I think there's 62 nationalities. There was when I was there, there's probably more. Um, so yeah, I went over there, loved it my first year um, and then decided to stay another year. Yeah. And then working from the person training cert, went, did you go straight into FlyFit or were you in somewhere before? Or So I, when I first got my qualification, I was, um, my mum was actually a member of a private gym and it was, it's a beautiful gym and just very near in South Dublin, very near where we live. And I would go up there whenever I was home from the States to train. Um, and I was lucky enough to uh, start an internship there. So um, I was working for free and basically I just wanted to learn the ropes of what it was like to work in a private gym. Um, my goal has always been to own my own gym. Mm. Um, and yeah. I was basically able to, yeah, yeah uh, not very long, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happened very quick. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I wanted to learn as much as, I could and I was happy enough to just work and do as much as I could to help out as well and um, so I interned there for maybe four or five months and then got offered a job there um, and then I worked there for not very long four five months again and um, then I said I decided that I wanted to set up kind of my own business and at that point um, I think FlyFit was the better kind of place to do that because you're not necessarily paying gym rent. So it's a good place to start. You can pick up clients through classes. And so, yeah, I started there in, what was it? December, 2017, 18? Yeah. I remember. Around the same time as me, actually, funny enough. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And um, you have a very inspiring story and something that you speak very openly about. And I think that's quite relatable to a lot of people, both male and female, and, and that's, I think you touched on it there briefly, just uh, or eating disorders. And that's what kind of the topic of the podcast. And that's why I really wanted to get you on and to talk about. And just to, for the listeners and for even for myself, what exactly is an eating disorder? Are there different types? And if so, um, which ones did you kind of go through? Or which one did you go through? So, and eating disorder I actually like I don't even know the definition of it but I'm almost certain like it's something that you're classed um as incredibly underweight but that I actually don't think from my experience you don't have to be underweight to have an eating disorder and there are so many types there's um orthorexia there's bulimia there's binge eating disorder there's so many um different types and you can have more than than one type um but like that i think there was this kind of idea that you had to be underweight to have an eating disorder but are a lot of i'm hearing in the past couple of years that um people are realizing that that's not the case and you can look perfectly healthy but mentally your relationship with your body food exercise is is unhealthy um, 
personally with myself I struggled a lot with the orthorexic side of things so um constantly over exercising I I couldn't I couldn't sit still and it was hard because I was playing um a lot of tennis so I was playing I mean six days a week um Monday to Friday it was five six hours a day and then on the weekends two hours um a day and on top of that I started to get into this vicious cycle of, okay, I want to go for a 5k run. Then that 5k run would transfer over to a 10k run. Um, and constantly, I, I couldn't hold myself back from doing any less. Um, and even though I was, I mean, I can't even imagine the amount that I was burning while I was training. I mean, it's, it's the heat over there is yeah. unbearable anyway. So you're going yeah. to be burning more. Um, but for me, that wasn't enough. Um, and then on top of that, the food side of things, I was eating. However, looking back, I wasn't eating anywhere near the amount um, for what I needed to perform uh, at a certain level. Um, I wasn't eating enough for just someone who's lying in bed all day doing nothing. Um, and there was this constant focus or um, constant obsession with having a healthy food, whatever, whatever that is. But for me, it was um, very low carb no oils, no butter, um, and so much veg. And I love, I still love veg to this day. Um, I've always loved veg, but a very high protein, low carb diet is what my main focus was. Um, I would constantly weigh myself. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night and weigh myself. And although I never actually had a weight goal that I wanted to get to, but and my goal wasn't even to to become really skinny I actually always wanted to look muscular and look strong and look athletic and um, but I kept getting caught up in the scales and seeing it drop and going I knew I was trying to rationalize with myself that okay this isn't good I know my weight shouldn't be dropping and um, but every time if I saw it slightly go up I would get disheartened so that again brought on this obsession of okay I just want to stay the same but my same kept dropping so I kept dropping and liking the drop which I hope that makes sense it doesn't really make sense in my head but yeah no yeah it does absolutely and I think that what you're trying to trying to say and getting across in particular is that it's it's almost more mental than than anything which is I think yeah. what what most people kind of um most people find the hardest about this and I actually listened to a podcast only recently from with Ben Pekulski and he had I can't remember her her name now but she was on and she was a similar kind of story where it was just very exercise driven, where it was if she ate food, she would have to go out for a run and and just yeah. burn. If, if there's 500 calories going in, there had to be 500 calories going out the other way. And it's just this this constant battle with it, with herself to try and yeah. try and yeah, like just trying to put she was trying to I don't I can't even I don't even know exactly what she was trying to get from the situation. But it was just the almost the, the fear of of the scales going up. Um, was more more so the the fear that that kept her kept her pushing uh, calories through output to kind of burn off the ones that were input. Is that is that kind of something that you yeah. were doing as well? Definitely, like your mind when you're in that um, that headspace, it's constant thinking about food and calories and exercise. Mm -hmm. And like that, it's if five hundred calories goes in, five hundred calories has to go out. And looking back on it, I never it never realized or I never realized myself that 
in order to gain weight, it's I never realize the calories in versus calories out. And that sounds ridiculous because yeah. it's it's so it's so out there now. Um, but it kind of helps me relate to people who mightn't understand it. Um, because I never I never understood it. And and initially when I first moved to the States, I put on a lot of weight. Um I now it was the best year of my life. I was so sociable. I was eating out with friends. I would sit in, we, we were in dorms. So I would sit in my dorm room with my roommate and my friends and we'd be eating a full box of cereal till two in the morning. And like the result of that, I, I gained, wow, I gained like maybe eight kilos in like three months. So I saw myself go to one end of the extreme and then I was like, okay, I have to do something. But unfortunately, my doing something was reverting way to the other end. And it wasn't, it sounds crazy, but it actually wasn't intentional. And there are, I've come across a lot of people who have gone through an eating disorder where their desire is to be skinny and to be underweight. That was never my desire. So um, I think for people who don't understand an eating disorder or who think that it's just someone who wants to be skinny, it's not the case for everyone. And certainly for myself, it was very much an obsession with food and exercise because I love food. And I went through my whole eating disorder loving food, but I would restrict myself from having a lot of the foods that I loved because I felt that I would get fat and gain weight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you touched on the points there that back then in particular, like how many years ago was that now? Probably like six years, seven years ago? Not, no, not four even. years. Four so years no, ago. Very, like not even that long ago, which is crazy because it feels like a different lifetime. Yeah. I think that that information around the calories in, calories out, when I, when I kind of learned about all this, I thought it was just before, before I learned about all this, it was just eat as little as you can. I remember, and I'm sure most people don't know this, but the first kind of diet I ever really did was just ridiculously, ridiculously aggressive without me even knowing. I thought it was just eat as little as you can, make sure it's all protein. And that was it. And I remember yeah. going away on holidays thinking, okay, I have eight to 12 weeks here to do what I can. And it was egg whites in the morning, then chicken and broccoli, one chicken fillet yeah. and a piece of broccoli for lunch and chicken and cucumber for, for dinner or something. And it was crazy. And I remember yeah. from a health perspective, energy perspective, I'd say my hormones were absolutely shot. My metabolic rate was probably the lowest it's ever been. And all this kind of just un uneducation and no knowledge of, of how to actually, how to keep health markers in a good place while dieting. And I think that you, you do talk about that a lot in your coaching um, yeah. keeping that health aspect. I think we both do. And keeping the health aspect there as well um while while making progress i think that's really important and back then when when it did kind of start happening like how, how did you know how, did you did you find out yourself or did you get kind of did someone tell you i think that there might be something happening or did you what was what were you kind of feeling at the time when you did start to realize that you did have an eating disorder so yeah, I was definitely, I would say I was definitely very aware of it. And mm -hmm. um, it starts with people commenting, oh, wow, you look amazing. You've lost weight. And you kind of go in your head, oh, okay, that's, that's great. Like I've, I've lost weight. Um, and I started to maybe share recipes. And especially when I came home, came home after my first year during the summer, 
um, I had previously been home a few months before for my cousin's wedding and or for Christmas even it was um, and people I think had kind of thought or they had told me later on that I had put on weight since I had moved over there for the first semester and um, then after my second semester when I came home they were like yeah you know you gained a bit of weight but you've certainly lost it and you you look even a lot better before when you left for your first year and um, so I was kind of going in my head like okay this is great and I was all into this cooking like really healthy recipes and and like I would post them on Instagram or I would post workouts or what I did in the gym and and people would be like oh my god this is so cool like well done like looks amazing can you help me out and I was like giving people advice which it wasn't necessarily bad advice but it didn't have a lot of context behind it to say this is completely dependent on you and your activity levels which is something that I always stress to people today it's like there's no right or wrong way to do it it really depends on what's going on in your life and I never would have added that in so I would have been like oh this is what I did this is what you should do and looking back on that I cringe because like it's just it's not it's not the way life is um, so I then went back to school in that August. We had to go back earlier to get used to the heat and training because it was really, really hot. Um, and like that, when I went back to school, I had obviously continuously lost weight when I was at home in Dublin. And um, I think I, I lost, like, I can't remember how drastic it was, but it was, it was very drastic. And when I went back to school, everyone was like, oh my God, you look amazing. You've lost so much weight over the summer. And looking back on photos, I still looked very healthy. And I think I might've been, God, around, I had lost maybe six, five of the eight or nine kilos that I had put on. And so a a healthy weight. Um, And then like that, I was going back out more socializing with friends. We would go out to restaurants and stuff. And I'd always eat food. I'd always ask for a side plate as opposed to a large plate because the portion sizes are quite big in America. So I always thought eating on a side plate was like eating on a normal main course plate. And then I started to think, oh, am I eating too out? out? Am I eating out too much? Um, and I started to kind of pull back on socializing with friends. And that year, my second year, I wanted to focus more on school and on tennis. And so I got my own room and so I didn't have a roommate. And then I got to the point where the cafeteria, looking back on it, you could eat really well and you could eat not so well. So you'd think in a sports academy, it would be your nutrition would be very well looked after. But there was a lot of pizza and a lot of burgers and that type of thing. So I became quite nervous of going there because someone else was cooking my food. So I didn't know how much oil was being used and like that you could make healthier options. So I started sticking with just the salad bar. There was a salad bar. Um, And then I didn't, I started to not want to do that. So I got a slow cooker in my own room, which we weren't allowed to do. But, and I started making my own breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, And like that, I didn't have a car and in the place where I was living, it's basically you're on a campus, but you have to drive everywhere. So um, I would have to get people to go to the supermarket, pick up what I wanted and then bring it back for me and I could cook the food. And it then got to the point where 
people were saying, okay, just be careful now. Like you're losing a bit too much weight very quickly. And um, I had a coach at the time who tennis wise, he was absolutely brilliant. And I don't think I've ever really talked about this, but usually when it comes to an eating disorder or anxiety or something, there's usually a trigger that can cause that downward spiral. Um, and at the time I had a coach who was a brilliant tennis coach and really helped me progress on the tennis court. Um, however, on top of that, it kind of came with a price that, that he was very controlling over me. Um, what I ate, uh, what hours I trained, who I hung out with, who I socialized with, um, and basically what I did in, in my spare time. Um, and it started off very much um, that it was for my benefit. And I was telling him that I wanted, I at that stage decided that I wanted to go pro. So I wanted to become professional. Um, whereas originally I just wanted to get into a really good college um, for tennis. But I got to the point my my tennis was really progressing. So I said, why don't I try and go pro? And I think he took that as, my commitment um, to kind of doing whatever he said. So, um, yeah, it started off um, as very much a, okay, you're to train at these hours. Um, and he was telling me I needed to eat more because like that, I was going back to my dorm and I wasn't feeling myself correctly. Um, and I was losing a lot of weight. Um, and fitness wise, my, my cardiovascular fitness was incredible. Um, but strength wise, I was, I was fading on the course. Um, like I was, I couldn't last because I had nothing to feel my sessions. And he would constantly, you know, say to me, you need to feel yourself. You need to eat more. Um, and he had a, like that, a very controlling and I want to say it got to the point it was quite possessive. Mm. Um, and, and he and this, started with. At, at this stage, are you, are you actively not putting extra calories into your body to try and move that scale down and what's your kind of your mindset and your the emotion behind it was it kind of yeah. driven by that I I think that my way of telling him no was to not eat or okay. not eat the amount that he was telling me um, and like that it it got to the point where there was there's this coach and client as you know relationship um and certainly verbally and um, not physically but there was some form of at the time I would have never called it like abuse but looking back on it and hearing kind of other stories between clients and coaches or, or especially athletes and coaches and uh, there was definitely that line was crossed and like that I'm a very outgoing person if someone says something to me that I don't necessarily believe or want to do I'm there and I'm going to say it I don't want to do this but it was done in a way that was quite manipulative and anytime I would go against what was being said to me and um, it was turned back around that my coach was the victim and he was, I was blaming him and he's put in all this work for me and making me feel guilty basically. Um, and like that, he, he became my only friend. He became the only person that I had because he had told me if I wanted to become professional, if I wanted to get to where I wanted to get to, I needed to cut out my social life. And 
there were times where I was talking to friends or hanging out with people or saying, I got nervous to tell them I was going out with a friend. We were going shopping and, or I'd be talking to someone and later on in our, in our one-to-one session, he would say, who was that person? Why were you talking to them? And it just became very, I was very alone already. Um, which going back a year prior to that, I was the most sociable person there was, but my circle had got so much smaller that he was the only person that I relied on and depended on. And I do think, I'm not saying I'm blaming him for my eating disorder. I think it, that obsession was, has been there for a long time in my life, but I certainly think that was the trigger um, and to, to really become unwell. Yeah, and going over there, I was just about to say that young, first of all, um, not going over there with anyone, I'm sure that it was very, very tough time for you. And just to kind of delve into how how are you, how was your emotions and how 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 did you? Was there anything that you kind of look back on and say, God, I, I was my mindset was not in the right place there? And what when when did it kind of get to a stage where you said this is this has kind of gotten to a, a very bad stage? Or what was the kind of the trigger or? when you got in there? Yeah, um, I remember I'd be very close with my parents. I'm very lucky that I have them. Um, and I certainly think I wouldn't have been able to recover as well as I did without them. Um, so I was constantly in contact with my parents and something that me and certainly myself and my dad, we love running. And my dad, uh, coincidentally, um, when he was working, he was retired now, but when he was working, he had a client about 45 minutes away from where I lived in Florida so he would be over there every six weeks so I would get to spend the weekend with him and he would see every six weeks that I was becoming more and more we would go out to eat for dinner because like that that's something that we share we love food and I was saying no I'm no sauce or I'm gonna uh like under eat this or and he was kind of saying to me like no come on like we we love running so we'd always planned to run on a Saturday morning and um he would say like no you've got to run tomorrow like we were running so you need to feel and you need to energize and I was kind of saying oh no I'm not hungry or I'm gonna snack on just an apple or something and he I think really noticed that and like that I would have been very close with my mom we would probably FaceTime every couple of days um and I would always share with her like yeah I'm getting these kind of obsessive thoughts and I can't control my thoughts and I'm constantly thinking about when the next meal is and how much should I eat last night and she knew herself that this wasn't right and her and my dad had obviously been talking back and forth um and like that I was very determined that I wanted to stay in school and even though I mean I was going to school and we kind of had a school uniform but it was very relaxed. So we had to wear kind of like chinos, like chino shorts or like chino trousers. And I, then we had like a school polo and I remember putting on my shorts and they literally fell. Like they fell from, I held them up as if I was to go out the door and they completely just dropped. And I was like, wow. I was like, I really am. yeah. Yeah. And my my hair became very um I've always people have always told me my hair is so thick and like it's healthy and long and my hair became like brass like it was it was falling out and the hair on my skin or on my body was growing so much and and 
all these bodily functions um, I had I had had trouble with my menstrual cycle for a couple of years prior to that but the summer before I went back to school I completely lost lost my period so that was another thing um, and then it was the constant waking up in the middle of the night that frustrated me the most and I was going into the bathroom and I had a weighing scales and I just kept hopping on the scales stepping off waiting till the scales turned off hopping back on hopping back off at like two in the morning. Um, and it was just, I, I knew myself, this is not who I am. This is not, these are not normal thoughts. And then like that, I would have all my friends that I hung out with previously, I would be walking on campus because all I did was school, back to my dorm, tennis court, back to my dorm, um, and then repeat again. And I had girls say to me, do you still live on campus? And I was like, yeah. They're like, we never see you. And I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, busy with school, busy with tennis. But so were they. And they would go, the socializing time was at the cafeteria, but I wasn't going there. So, um, yeah, it, it just, I realized that my social life completely, the, go back the year before and my dad would drop me back after a weekend, spending a weekend with him and from the car park to my dorm, this sounds big headed or something, I don't know, but there would have been 15 to 20 kids in a five minute walk shouting, Hey Vicky, good to see you. Like, and then the year after that, it was no one, no one knew I lived on campus. So, um, socially that was the biggest impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you said something there about, some kind of triggers and, and habits that you got into of saying when you went out to dinner, it'd be, Oh no, no, I'm not going to have that. I'm going to have this, this side salad or, Oh no, I'm going to have a side plate or something like that. Was there anything else that kind of that came with that? Like from a social aspect, were, were you literally just saying, no, I can't do this. And what were the kind of triggers and, and habits that, that you kind of got into the routine of doing and just saying no to social events or were there any ones that kind of stood out that you can remember? Yeah, um, there would be like barbecue kind of nights that we would have on a Friday or we'd have a movie night um, on the courtyard of the dorms where there would be like s'mores and like snacks, yeah. very American. Um, and uh, or friends who lived off campus, sometimes people's parents who people generally who are from the US and um, their parents would move from their state that they grew up in. They would. Uh, rent a house in near the school so I became I had friends who lived off campus and like that they would invite me over for dinner and um, and I would I would decline the invite uh, sorry I'm just really caught up with school or I've got tennis practice or and um, and a lot of that was down to my coach saying no you've got a tournament tomorrow and I mean I was 16 it wasn't like I was going out drinking. Yeah. So it was, it was just like, no, this is what you have to do. You have to get to bed at a certain time. And he was WhatsApp me back and forth. And you know, the way it says, if you're online, yeah, I was terrified of him seeing that I was online and I wasn't asleep. So like that kind of type of thing just made me say, okay, I can't hang out with these people. I had one friend in particular that I would have been very close with and we would have gone to the beach and that type of thing and he insisted that he had to meet this girl and um, to see could he trust her 
and I remember like I got my nails done we got our nails done one day and I had like bright orange or something on my nails and he like gave me this lecture of why are you doing this to yourself you don't need to and I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was going back to my dorm by myself, constantly overthinking this. Then it would get to the point I would say to myself, not that I was imagining it, but maybe he didn't mean it that way. And he's trying to make you a better tennis player. So I kind of understand where he's coming from. And it made me so driven. I've, I've always been a very driven person. But saying that my first year that I moved over there, I was the most relaxed person. Like I didn't, I didn't care about anything. Which I, which I loved, which I needed and um, because I was a teenager, but I became this far too overdriven, high achieving um, person. And that's very common. Eating disorders ten, generally can, um, people who have eating disorders generally are high achievers or driven people. Yeah. Um, and like that, there's no excuses. I must always get this done. And yeah, it, it was mainly the eating out kind of thing, which like that I love um, and I, I absolutely love today. But back then I loved it and I wanted to love it. And I would see my friends having ice cream and pizza and I was going, why can't I do that? Yeah. And if I do that, I'm going to wake up and I know I'm going to put on weight, even though I knew I needed to gain weight again. But for me, it just wasn't worth the guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, I can kind of relate to you in this now on nowhere near that kind of scale, but I remember there was, there was a period around that time when I was talking about earlier about being on crazy aggressive diets, it would have got to the stage where it was times where I try and try my best to not go out, not go drinking, not eat out or whatever like that, just because I was so caught up in body composition and just improving my physique. And I, I, I thought that, if I did these things, if I had a couple of beers, I couldn't have the a better physique and I would be chasing scale weight. And I remember there was this, actually this one time um, I was at a party and I said, I'm not drinking. I had to do something the next day or something like that, which is probably a lie. Um, and I went there and I remember going, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so hungry. Like, what am I going to eat? So there's burgers and chip, chips and all these kind of things around the place. So I remember uh, seeing something, this is before I knew about really the kind of higher fat content will probably have a higher caloric content. And I saw a bowl of nuts or something and mm. I grabbed them. I think they're pistachios and just kept eating one after another after another because I thought pistachios are, are healthy. They're going to be low in calorie. Yeah. And when I got home, then I went to my fitness pal, put in the pistachios and then go, oh my God, I have 600 calories here. I'm going away on holidays in three weeks. I remember, I remember that night going out for a run that night and I just kind of even looking back at it now it was just crazy to try and to try and just balance the books and to burn those calories off that like that I'd inputted into into my diet and looking back at it now like it's it's it is crazy to think about that and I can kind of I understand where you come from in terms of trying to to push food push food out that's coming in yeah and unlike that a lot of people assume even though the percentage might be higher that it's more common in women but yeah there are a lot of men that go through experiences with an eating disorder mm. and what you experienced like that people might've looked at you and been like, Oh, he's absolutely shredded. He must be like, he's an, a gym head. You know, he's training really hard. Like I want to look like that. But what's going on in your head is this constant obsession and this con these constant disordered thoughts. And um, 
that it's it's hard for people on the outside looking in um, and and I don't know if you found but I've got to the point where it wasn't me um, and I could I was lucky enough that I could see that um, however it didn't make it any easier to stop and I almost think of it as like the devil on your shoulder yeah. constantly telling you and if I can describe it in the best way what it's like um, is you eat something or you I don't know drink alcohol or whatever and there is just that thought or that voice in your head that's just saying you did the worst thing ever you're going to get fat and you can't turn it off yeah and to be honest I don't know if it ever turns off but you can certainly turn it down and I think that's what I've done to this point because like that you come out of hospital and you've gained a bit of weight and people think oh wow you're better like let's go for pizza and you're like it's still there but yes I may look better but those thoughts I still sometimes get them today where it's not at all as much but there are some things where I'm like oh did I overeat there or oh did I eat some not necessarily eat something I shouldn't have because I don't look at food like that anymore but certainly maybe up to a year I would have and for me I've done this long enough now where I can just go turn turn that voice down um and I know that I'm gonna get back to my normal life tomorrow where my normal daily routine or daily schedule tomorrow so one one day or one holiday a week-long holiday two week-long holiday isn't going to drastically hinder my progress or or do anything to me yeah and I think it's great for for the listeners to actually hear that and know that at the moment if anyone is kind of struggling with something like this and just know that it's it's hard at the moment but then it's always that the longer it goes longer it goes on or the more kind of experience you have it like you said being able to flip that switch and having experience having experienced it before and coming out on the on a positive side hopefully they can take from this that they are only just even if it's a couple of months or a year or two around the corner where they're able to get to a stage like you so that's that's always really really positive for them to hear and um in terms of of, of your treatment and stuff like this um, how did that how did that happen and and what actually went on for the treatment yeah so i came home um in it was christmas time and I was horrifically underweight. Um, and How heavy were you, uh, Vicky? Um, so my, at my heaviest weight when I first moved over there, I was 74 kilos, mm-hmm. which isn't actually that heavy. Um, and however, I had certainly gained body fat because I wasn't training like I'd be training now. It wasn't resistance training. I was training on a tennis course. So it was a lot of kind of, cardiovascular training I mean we did gym sessions but it wasn't muscle and I tried to convince myself that it was that I gained muscle but like it wasn't there was a lot of body fat um and so then I at my lowest weight I was 48 kilos wow which I'm five eight and a half um and like it was a very yeah very low weight um and that was in yeah that was that Christmas and I came home and I remember saying to my mum I would meet someone like her friend or something and they'd be like welcome back and 
they actually their their reaction was like I would be like hey I'm home and they would just be hi like they didn't know they didn't know what to say and I remember like meeting family and everything and I was kept saying to my mum whenever we'd be on our way home or get back into the car I'd come back to the house and I'd say so-and-so was kind of really weird with me like they weren't they weren't their normal self they were kind of awkward and I put it down to maybe I've just been away for a really long time and like it's kind of hard to like catch up or like and it was only till maybe six months later that summer when I kind of came out of hospital that I realized how horrific I looked yeah. like I had a like lines around here um you could see my cheekbones you could it was it was not like like that my hair was completely like it had fallen out um just I just didn't look like how people would have seen me six months prior to when I'd been home in the summer and even then I had lost weight and people would say okay don't lose any more like stay the way you are but I obviously came home that Christmas and I had lost a lot of weight so um Christmas passed and I had the idea that I was going back to school my parents had the idea that I was going back to school in January um but deep down I didn't have the heart to tell them that I didn't want to go back and I somehow developed this fear of being on my own in my dorm room doing the same thing again day in day out of weighing myself eating in my room sleeping in my room studying then going to school tennis whatever I, I had this really big fear and I remember uh, it was maybe two or three days before I was supposed to go back um, and I just broke down in front of my parents and I just said I can't I can't go back and I think then at that point like that my my parents had been so used to spending time with me that even they had seen that they had they mightn't have seen the drastic way or the bad way that I was because they were seeing me every day where it was whereas it was the people who would wouldn't see me for a long enough period of time where they beat me and they'd be like oh my god so um, my mum kind of thought that maybe once once I came home here that everything would just go back to normal and I'd just start eating enough again um, and that wasn't the case of course and she learned a lot as well my dad learned a lot I don't live with my dad I just live with my mum so she certainly experienced a lot more um, and I mean meal times I would be in hysterics crying and um, because like it would be a chicken breast maybe and then I would be deciding whether it's 10 Brussels sprouts or 12 Brussels sprouts that I want to put on my plate and constantly just going wow. back and forth I know I have to put 12 on my plate but do I really want to is it worth it crazy crazy thoughts and my mum would see this and um my mum wouldn't be a cook anyways so I would always cook my own food and um that gave me the control of okay I can make whatever I want and I can make as little as I want um so they both obviously discussed and said okay we need to we need to put her into into care or into somewhere that's going to get her better so um I was lucky enough we have uh, quite a good GP and he was able to get me into St Pat's um mental health hospital um and thankfully I was under 18 um, and I say thankfully because I don't think I would have admitted myself if I was over 18. And so my parents admitted me and I didn't have a choice. I had to stay. 
So I was in there and I was in an adolescent ward, um, which is from what I've heard a lot nicer uh, than the wards for uh, people who are over 18. And um, I went in on the, what was it? It was a week after my birthday, so I think the 21st of January. Um, and I thought I was staying for two nights. And I brought like a bag that was just an overnight bag. I think I brought like three pairs of clothes thinking, okay, they're going to just assess me and just say, okay, go home. And I remember saying to my mom on the way in, do you think I'll be able to exercise in there? Like, do you think they'll let me go to the gym? Is there a gym? Like I got in and they brought me into a room and assessed me and talked to me. And they brought my parents into a room and talked to them. And my mom told me later after, when I'd left hospital that they just told her they're surprised I haven't dropped dead. Um, my resting heart rate was like 35 beats per minute. Um, they put me on a body scan machine, which looking back on is probably not the most accurate, but I had something like 3% body fat, which I don't think it should ever show that. Uh, whether you actually have 3% body fat or not, it should never show that low. Um, and yeah, they were basically saying like you're you're in and like that I thought it was two days and I remember we had like a key worker nurse so you chat to them each week and or every few days and kind of give them an update on how you're feeling and I was saying okay like so like when do you think I can go home like I'm thinking kind of maybe like next Monday and the nurse was just like I'm so sorry to tell you but you're going to be here a lot longer and that's when I realized I was like wow I got myself into a really, really bad situation. So at, at that kind of age, I'm sure that it was a bit of a, almost a, a really big shock to you and kind of coming into reality that this is actually very, very serious. Like, how did you feel at that time? What were, what were emotions like? Yeah. Um, I, when you are so underfed and undernourished, um, your thoughts aren't, aren't rational which doesn't help because it's the time that you need the rational thoughts the most um but the less you're feeding your brain and your body the harder it is to focus the harder it is to think um and that almost gives those disordered thoughts an advantage to take over so you're very vulnerable at that point um i mean they would tell me i couldn't stand up so I had to sit down for like we there was a TV room um, where we spent most of our time with the other young people, uh, the other the other kids or the other teenagers. And I remember I was standing and a nurse came over and tapped me on the shoulder and she's like, OK, Vicky, like you have to sit down. And I was like, what? I was like, who is this woman telling me I have to sit down? And she explained to me, she said, when you're standing, you're burning more calories. So we need you to sit down. And I was like, what the, I was like, I didn't even know that. I, like, I just was completely lost, oh. like mealtimes, oh. there was, yeah, shocked, exactly. Um, I remember my first meal in, the, you're, once you're in the door, sounds like jail, but you're in the door, you're not out, like you're not going anywhere. Um, so meal, my first meal was lunch. And the assessment takes the whole morning. So you're pretty tired. Um, it, I mean, I think I was in there from like eight in the morning and then lunchtime is at one o'clock. So you're constantly chatting to um, 
psychiatrists, psychologists, um, dietitians, nurses, doctors for that whole morning that you're first in there. And um, then first meal time, I remember I love water and I like drink liters of water. Um, more obviously for a health perspective, but I've always been brought up on just drinking water. So I asked, they put milk in front of me and since I was a kid, I like very young, I, I tasted sour milk when I was like maybe three or four and I just never had it again. I had like, I was, you know, when you taste the food and it's horrible and then you just can't drink it again. So I should put milk and I was like, sorry, do you mind? Could I actually get some water? And I actually thought she was joking and she just turns around to me and she goes, unfortunately, Vicky, you actually can't. And I was like, and I just burst into tears. I was like, I felt like I was in prison. Yeah, I, yeah. And it, this isn't to scare anyone that might be going, but it, it was, I needed that. And it was at that time that was an intervention was needed. Um, but I had been so, I needed calories and they were trying to get those calories in as, as in the best way or the quickest way as possible. Um, and it, yeah that was that was really something that i realized okay i'm you know i'm not well and i ha- i'm in hospital and, um, and at that stage are you you like taking those calories on are you going okay i need to start eating these or is those are those kind of mental thoughts in the back of your head saying no just stay away from the milk don't drink the milk don't do this or or how are you kind of taking everything on board um like that I know I could always rationalize with myself that I knew that they were doing this because it had to be done saying that there were certainly other teenagers in there who were people who completely restricted their food intake and so they would have a meal in front of them and they wouldn't touch it and that wasn't me um and so like that um it would be meals like spaghetti bolognese lasagna um typical kind of Irish dinners um which to be honest it sounds weird but I've actually never been brought up on that anyways because like that my mum doesn't cook my dad's a great cook but he would have been working a lot when uh, I was younger so he would maybe cook on the weekend so it was always kind of like I never I, I'm an only child so we never had that sit down like Sunday roast or like okay dinner tonight spaghetti bolognese or whatever yeah. I never really had that it was kind of just always you know suit yourself like whatever anyone wants it's there um so it was all these Irish dinners and I was kind of like well this is a lot of food and I, I just wasn't used to it um but like that there were I'm like that very determined so I set myself this promise of okay maybe if I eat what they want me to eat I can get out earlier which wasn't the case but it certainly the way I look at it is um it made me the one sorry the one thing that I found was which I don't think it's a great thing there were 14 young people um and maybe six of us had an eating disorder um, but like that, not every eating disorder is the same. So I was constantly trying to explain to them that, uh, or the nurses and the doctors, that I eat. It's not that I don't eat, but I just like a certain type of food and I want to eat a certain type of food. Whereas I was at a dinner table with um, all the other young people um, who wouldn't, a lot of them wouldn't be eating or would refuse to eat. 
And for me, the downfall in that was that I picked up on a lot of habits that I mightn't have had before. And I almost felt if I'm to eat, I feel even worse now because there's these other young people who are refusing to eat and maybe I'm not strong enough mentally to refuse to eat. So on top of that voice in my head, knowing that that's not the food that I want to eat, I was determined, Vicky was determined to eat Uh, the food because she wanted to get better but it made it that little bit more difficult having other people refusing food and and it's a very competitive disorder so like that we would go back and we weren't like go to the bathroom for an hour after our meal so we just sit in the room um or in our in our sitting area and again it i i the way i look at it now is it's whoever i was with that was unwell it's not them mentally so I can understand that now but people will be saying oh I didn't eat my dinner and like kind of bragging which just doesn't help the ones that want to get better yeah um but like that those people saying that it's not them mentally that's their I like to say that's their disorder talking um and they think it's a really good thing because they've they've been bold and they've gone against what everyone's getting them to do whereas there were some of us that we genuinely wanted to get better. So we finished everything on our plate, which may, if I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I think that it, they kind of almost want to justify it. Like, oh, this is cool what I'm doing. Don't worry, like, don't yeah. worry about it. I'm, I'm not eating food. This is quite cool or trying to act yeah. cool in front of you guys where you guys are on a completely different other mentality, which is great, great for, for you that you're able to be able to um, get into that mentality of actually wanting to get better. Yeah, I mean, it was hard. And and like that, I don't know what the solution to that is. Um, I remember I had watched a documentary on a place in the UK and they had two separate dining rooms. And you basically started in one dining room. And once they felt that you were well enough, you progressed to another dining room where people were finishing the food on their plate and you weren't back at that stage one. So okay. again, I don't know if that's if that's feasible, but I think that because like that the 14 young people that I was with um maybe half of them had other um mental health issues so it wasn't all eating disorders so like that those people would have been you know eating normally and um, whatever that is but eating you know to when they're full or um and then like that I don't know if that's great either because the ones with the eating disorder were made finish all their meals which I see the reason behind but it would almost trigger you if someone left if someone who didn't have an eating disorder left food on their plate because they're full which is right which is a good thing that we're all supposed to do but seeing that it's it's almost like you're looking at someone going oh that's really tempting I want to do that if that makes sense and um, I think it sounds like you're, you're very internally motivated to actually get it done and get, get over the line, which is very positive. And was there anything else that kind of spurred you on? Like what, what got you to the end line? What got you and um, what was integral to getting you there? Um, I well, certainly my parents helped. My mum came in for visiting hours um, and we're maybe oh god it must have been a 45 minute drive in traffic because visiting hours are six till eight in the evening and my mum came in every single day every single evening to see me at visiting hours and my dad was working of course so he would have been traveling a lot and and he came in when 
he was able to and I was constantly talking to him and we weren't allowed to have phones or we had a phone only at certain hours um, and we could text uh, it was a, like a Nokia brick and um, so we didn't have access to social media which was probably a good thing yeah. Um, you could go on the, there were two computers that you could go on Facebook so you could chat to your friends during the day. Um, but other than that, there was, I think Instagram was blocked maybe, um, on the thing, which again, probably a good thing. Um, but on, along the lines of the support and um, certainly my parents, uh, like, like that, my mum still to this day feels maybe guilty, um, because there were times where she would let me go for a run um, or she would let me, you know, do a home workout um, and let me go to the gym before obviously I was in hospital and she feels guilty that that wasn't the right thing to do. But when you're a parent or a friend or someone from your family in that situation, you hate seeing that person so distraught and so upset that all you want to do is just give them the one thing that makes them happy um so certainly i never put any guilt on my parents um or my mum who can sometimes feel why did i let you you know cook your own meals or i should have taken over and i'm just like no because i learned that way that that wasn't good and i i learned that i know the stress that it put on them um as well as that i obviously grew up playing or playing at tennis so I was exercising and one thing that I didn't agree with totally is that and again I can kind of see their reason behind it but they had told me that I wasn't allowed to exercise for a year after my discharge out of hospital um and I didn't think that was quite right because exercise is a part of everyone's life that should be encouraged whether it's you walk or whether it's you swim or whether it's you lift weights in the gym um, and I was told under no circumstances was I going to be allowed to exercise. Um, however, my goal was to get back exercising. And I think, again, I'm very lucky that I learned. I, I, I don't know how, but I realized I had got myself to somewhere I didn't want to get to. And I had made a mistake. And my promise to myself was that when I left hospital, I would get back to training in a healthy way both mentally and physically and I wouldn't overdo it and I would fuel to train myself and that's that's very hard to get someone who might be going through the same thing to do but I wanted to get back training because it had been my life um and I promised myself that I had to do it uh, or I could do it only if I fueled myself correctly and it wasn't obsessive um so that was my that was my goal yeah absolutely and as far as the the journey went how long did it actually take how long were you in hospital for and and when you did kind of get to the very end how did you feel how was there that kind of sense of accomplishment like I've really done this myself and with of course the help of sounds like your your mum and dad played a massive role in that Um, and but was there that sense of accomplishment and really feel good by the end of it that you'd kind of done this yourself really it's hard because so I was in hospital for 14 weeks and one day um, and it's hard because it's something that should be celebrated but you still have those thoughts that 
can trigger you to go backwards. So you almost think, okay, once I get home, maybe I'll just start doing the same. Because that temptation is always there. I look at it as an addiction. Um, It really is. And it's an addiction to go back to the way that that devil or do the things that that devil on your shoulder is telling you to do. Um, And and I can really, it, it taught me to really be able to relate to people who have addictions in other ways. Um, because it's something that makes you feel so good and you're being told to either restrict it or reduce it. So like that exercise or over-exercising made me feel so powerful and restricting certain foods made me feel so powerful. And that temptation was always there to go back to that. Um, but like that coming out of hospital for me was when the recovery really starts, or really started because you're then left to your own devices. So we had to kind of implement things here and like I had to make sure that I was having somewhat similar to the same breakfast that I was having in hospital, which would have been two slices of toast with butter and jam um, and a bowl of cereal. Um, and lunch would have had to have had plenty of carbohydrates, protein, um, and like that. I love vegetables. Um, so I would have, you know, piled my plate up with veg. Um, and it was very much the hospital's way of telling me what I had to do when I left. Um, personally, I don't think majority of normal, healthy people live like that. I was told that I had to have a dessert every single day, um, which if they were to sit me down and say, this is only for a certain amount of time until you get back to a certain weight, then you can go back to typical, normal breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a couple of snacks throughout the day. I would have been okay with that. But I remember a dietitian telling me, yeah, it's normal. Every person has a dessert every day. And I was kind of thinking in my head, like, I can, I can tell you like 10 people in about 30 seconds who don't have a dessert after their dinner every single day. Like, so that's the one thing, whereas if she worded it as in a different way of, okay, this is, this is short term and we're trying to teach you how to build your relationship with food and that it's okay to try these things. And then I would have maybe had a better understanding of it. But um, there were certainly a few things that I found looking back on, especially that this could have been worded differently because um, it, there wasn't a lot of work on your relationship with food. Mm. Um, you were kind of just told you have to eat this and you have to eat that. And okay, you have to eat everything on your plate, which what if you're full? What if you genuinely are full? Do you still have to eat everything on your plate? And so there was a few things, which again, I, they can't, they can't customize it to everyone, but it's, there's not much context behind it as to, okay, well, this could be just individualized for you or I hope I'm making sense here, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was the one thing that that I certainly found. So, yeah, I think I think from a, a client perspective as well. Even I'm sure you do the same as well. It's it's te- it, we're, we have we have uh, to teach them how to mindfully eat and know when you're actually full and when when do you actually want to eat food and when do you need to eat food. These kind of things. Yeah, I think that exactly. that that sounds like it was lacking um, in the the kind of guidance that you got. But, yeah. Um, and, and again, I see why it had to be done for those that are underweight. 
Yeah. Um, but that wasn't explained. And like that, I was told it's normal to have a dessert every day. Um, and I, I, like that, I just think if you ask any any person, they don't. They mightn't have that desire to have a dessert every day. Yeah. So whereas if they changed how they were describing it and said look we need you to learn that it's okay if you know you're in a restaurant and you see a dessert menu um that you can get a dessert and they would say that as well but yeah there was that constant thing of when you go home you must finish everything on your plate you must do this you must do that and to be honest when I got home I think I did it the right way for me um and there might have been a better way that I could have done it, but for me, it was the right way. Um, because like that, I eventually, after maybe two months, went back to making my own food. But I had learned, um, okay, I can, I know how much food I need, and I know that I need enough to fuel myself. Whereas you could have given someone else that that ability, and they might have gone straight back to the way that things were prior to that. So it's different for each person, which yeah. is something that wasn't va- made very clear when I was in hospital. Yeah, so it sounds like it was a little bit almost bittersweet when you got out of hospital for those initial times, but I think you might have said it there that when when did you start to feel just back to reality and just kind of this what I know you said that it's it ha- it's still there that kind of devil on the shoulder, mm-hmm. but when did you kind of feel okay, this is becoming a little bit more easy and I don't have to consciously actively think about food and calories and all these kind of things when did that kind of start to zone out a little bit I certainly think so I came out at the end of April um and I looking back that summer I would have still been nervous to eat out in restaurants Mm. and I would have been very particular we we would go away to France for the summer and eating out is something that we would always do um and I remember there were certainly a few I call them meltdowns that sounds very dramatic but they are they are meltdowns um in restaurants and I made myself do it but like that it might have been two steps forward one step back so making really good progress and then I might go out for a meal and I would have ordered something that I didn't think was going to come out or it came out wrong or something. And I would just feel this overwhelming feeling of anxiety and, oh my God, what's going to happen? And not that I think I'm, I was going to gain weight, but I just, for me, it was a perfectionist type of thing yeah. that it's not perfect. What's going to happen? And it sounds like I'm sure people would look at that and think, geez, she's very dramatic or what a drama queen. Like, but you genuinely have this, have this feeling of you can't breathe and it's you're so anxious and so that summer and I'm not going to say was a struggle but I got back cooking again I remember I was cooking meals for my parents so um, and I and I love cooking and I love food so that was something that I brought back into my life Um, and then September I would have started back in school and I started in a different school and that was quite difficult because like that I had the pressure of going back to the Irish school system Um, and I did find like I would prep my meals for school like no more than a lot of people would do and whereas I wouldn't be comfortable with going to the shop at lunchtime and getting you know a roll and a packet of crisps or whatever whatever 
like a typical student yeah, does. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that. But like that, there were certainly other people that brought their own lunches. So it wasn't looked at as weird. And I certainly had enough food. I actually got myself a personal trainer that summer. Um, and as far as mentally, he, I think, was a huge help. I was told I couldn't go back to exercise for a year. And I was like, no, that's the one thing that I am just going to not obey to. And I'm going to go back and I made a promise myself, I'm going to do this in a healthy way. So I contacted um, a personal trainer. Uh, his name is Sonny. Uh, he actually lives in Australia at the moment as well. Sonny, Sonny and, uh, Yes. I know him well. I work in the same gym as him. I know him well. Ah, Sonny, he's great. Yeah. And um, well, hopefully if, you can tell him that uh, he was a huge, huge help um, for me mentally. Um, you know, we trained, but we, he also uh, helped me with getting back socializing. And he basically set me, and some people would disagree about calorie counting and macro tracking, um, but he basically set me targets that I had to eat a certain amount of food to fuel my performance um and strength in the gym became a goal as opposed to the weight on the scales yeah yeah exactly and um but in order to build the strength which I wanted and he was there to help me with I had to eat enough food so I mean I'm I've said this to girls and they're absolutely shocked by it but I was on 2800 calories um consistently for about a year and my strength went up um I got one rep max squat 70 kilos in the gym and for me that was huge because I was I was still quite I was still quite small um but he really taught me that like obviously if you know him you know he's very sociable um and he's he's always like you know he loves his training but he loves a few pints as well so he had always taught me that you have to go out and you have to live a life, a balanced life. And that word gets thrown around a lot. Mm. Um, so I started with him. It must've been in September. And that was honestly the best thing that I, that I did because it taught me that I needed to eat enough to feel my training. Um, it taught me how to train correctly and safely. And I, I think I trained with him for maybe two years, a year and a half. Um, and he actually, I was having a tough time in school. Um, but like that, I would talk to him about that. And he was very um, helpful and very good. And I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to be in school anymore. It's causing me stress. It's causing me anxiety. And I feel like I'm kind of going backwards as in stress-wise and anxiety-wise. Um, and I think I want to work in a gym. Um, and I want to help people. And I want to help people who might be on a journey the same as myself that they're trying to build as opposed to yes of course I, I help people who want to lose body fat and lose weight for health and um, for their health but I want to go on this journey myself and uh, I also want to learn more about it so I looked at a personal training course I saw that you didn't need a leaving cert to do one so um, I started that in I think the November of that year um, and like that educating myself on nutrition and training it just made me realize okay this is fact this is science this is why 
these things happen. And no, it's not possible to gain weight overnight. Like I previously thought low carb diets are absolute, all absolutely awful. Like why, why would anyone do that? Carbs are there to fuel your performance. So it really taught me doing my own study as well that, okay, this is, this is how, you know, people's daily nutrition or daily habits or daily lifestyle is supposed to be. Yeah. And it sounds, sounds like <clears throat> for any of the listeners who are, are going through something like this, it's never going to be that the day you walk out is the day it's gone. And it's going to take that little bit of time. But what we've clearly shown, and I know Sonny very well at this stage, and I know how charismatic he is and how much energy he has, but just from the, the whole fitness standpoint, like that has clearly had such a big um, benefit to you getting through this process and educating you as to how to get actually how to actually get through this exactly and like that it's not a it's not a straight road to recovery and there would maybe been days or times where I would have you know sent him a message saying okay I'm really struggling like I'm going out tonight with friends I'm, I'm quite nervous and he would just say I just want you to enjoy it so he would reassure me because that's what I felt I needed I need someone I needed someone to just reassure me that I was doing the right thing yeah. Um, and, and he was definitely, definitely, there, definitely there to do that. And like that, I was still quite underweight. And um, like, even if I'm to put a, a photo of myself now, beside when I was healthy and I had a hospital, um, there's a, there's still, I look back at that photo and I'm like, geez, you're still very, very skinny. Mm. Um, and like that, I had to eat enough and I ended up gaining weight. And I think I was maybe I was maybe 55 kilos, 56 kilos when I came out of hospital. So I gained about eight kilos and then I had gained a further five or six slow and steady. It's a very slow yeah. process. Um, but over about two, a year and a half to two years, there was another six kilos, um, gained, which, which was what I was, what I wanted. And then like that strength went up. Like, I think I couldn't, I couldn't lift a dumbbell when I first started training um properly in the gym and like that it takes time it takes time and patience but taking the boxes each day and you might not see the progress as it's happening and um, but then you look back over a year to two years and it's like wow yeah um and it's yeah. funny that it's funny that that was the the thing that they were telling you not to do was to try not exercise and not do this and, and ironically that was the thing that brought you through and I know that you talk about mm. it and I talk about it a lot the exercise is the cheapest medicine in the world and how important it is for mental health so if someone is out there struggling a little bit um, and they think that oh I don't want to train I don't want to do this it's probably the best thing for you to do from an endorphin standpoint from a mental health standpoint and from an overall just overall health uh, health standpoint is going to be so important exactly like like you said, the endorphins, there's nothing nicer than, or better, better feeling than, okay, I'm not feeling great, but I'm going to go and I'm just going to get a session in. I, it doesn't have to be amazing. I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to do what I can and taking that pressure off yourself that it has to be at 120%. And you come out and it's, you just feel better. There's no, and like that, it wasn't very much for the other young people who may have had depression and anxiety exercise was never talked about and now I don't know if that was maybe because they didn't want it to trigger us but 
exercise was never talked about as okay let's get some fresh air we spent so much time indoors and sitting inside and not going outside now it was kind of winter time and it might have been raining but just to even get out for I mean I wasn't allowed to go for a walk until I was maybe 10 weeks into my recovery uh, nine weeks and that's I mean I can't go a day without getting outside yeah. Um, like it's just even if you're sitting outside the air the the brightness uh, it's just it makes such exactly and it's so important and now it's being talked about a lot more as opposed to maybe four or five years ago but the likes of you know getting enough vitamin d like you can't you can't yeah there are foods that have maybe a certain amount but the most way is sunlight so Mm how can you expect and it's been shown that a significant amount of vitamin d uh, is beneficial for those that have depression and uh, anxiety or mental health issues yet that was never that was never explained so no um which is a shame yeah maybe it is today maybe it is more now uh, for those that are that are in hospital but um i i know a lot of people who might have social anxiety who can't go outside uh, which is of course another challenge but being outside in the fresh air is certainly is certainly beneficial yeah it's a really really inspiring story that you have and i really appreciate you coming on and being so open just like a complete open book and um very honest about the story in general and i really really uh look up to you for for tackling it so well and Again, I really appreciate you coming on uh, today and just wanted to get a little bit of insight as to, I'm going to ask this to all the guests to come on and just your kind of your three non-negotiables in everyday life. What would that be? Yeah, I actually read that question. I find that really difficult. I was like, what do I actually, the three things that are like non-negotiable I'm doing? Well, uh, water Um, and like hydration. For me, I know if I'm feeling like drained or fatigued, two liters of water. Now, I was horrific during lockdown because like routine is out of whack. Um, so I bought myself a two liter water bottle. That's like, I'm trying to limit plastic. So, and that for me is my goal every day. Yeah. Now, because I'm working more, I can get through maybe like three or four liters. So that's a positive, but I want to get two liters every day. Um, what was the second one I have up there? Oh exercise and again i'm sure some people are saying oh there is the obsessiveness coming back no i mean it doesn't have to be an hour to an hour and a half in the gym every single day i train an hour four days a week at the moment um, and that for me is enough but when i say exercise i mean exercise for the mind as well so that can be getting outside for a 10 to 15 minute walk i try to hit i'm lucky and you're probably the same we work very um physically active jobs so we're constantly on our feet the whole time so I mean I generally get my 10k steps um but even if I don't there are days that I don't um and I just still try to get out even if I'm on 6,000 I'm just like okay I'm gonna I'm just gonna go for a 10-15 minute walk because like that the fresh air yeah. does me a world of good um my I, I usually have two dogs uh two and they're fairly big so they need a lot of walks but long story short, my mum broke her leg. So they're not, they're in their minders for the past three or four months. But once the dogs come back, uh, that's going to be my driver again, because I, it, it was, it's hard to believe, but it's actually harder to get out for walks without a dog. 
yeah. Um, but yeah, so fresh air, walking, exercise, that's my second thing. And my third thing is I try to learn something each day, whether that be, it doesn't have to be like study or reading, which of course I try to do, but when you're kind of, when you're opening a gym, it's, it's hard to factor that time. So I need to get better at planning a routine um, or, or setting up my routine. But like that, setting up a business or opening a gym, I am learning something every yeah. single day. So for me, that goes without question. And that's something, I mean, we're heading into our fourth week of being open next week or tomorrow. Um, and I've learned something every day, even if I haven't opened a book or read something online. Um, I mean, I try to. And once I think I get into a more structured routine, I'm going to incorporate a lot more study because I need to, because it's important for me and my clients. Um, but yeah, it's been a learning experience and that's something that I try to do every day. Yeah, amazing. And if you'd like to give the listeners or tell them where they can find you, Instagram and um, whereabouts Victory Fitness actually is. Yeah. Uh, so Victory Fitness is located in South Dublin. So Monkstown, Glenageary area, uh, very near Dunleary. Um, and it's a semi-private personal training gym um, like that I love the personal side of things so try to keep it as individualized as possible um, it's generally females that I work with however we are open to training males as well and um, anyone that wants to you know transform their body purely for the reason of health um, and of course it's no harm to want to look good or it's no harm to want to look better because I think confidence is a hugely important thing you want to feel confident but um as long as health stays the priority then then it's good or it's a it's ideal um and what else yes I'm on Instagram uh Vicky Cornick V-I-C-K-Y-C-O-R-N-I-C-K is my username um I don't really post a lot of fitness stuff there anymore and um, I kind of if I am to post any nutrition or training tips it's on the victory fitness uh, instagram which is victory underscore fitness underscore ie yeah i think you, you've started to post a lot of a lot of really good helpful tips on that so anyone who is listening definitely get over and follow and if there is anyone in dublin looking for a pt i don't think you can go wrong uh, with vicky down at victory fitness so again vicky thank you so much for coming on really really thank amazing you so much story. for having me i really enjoyed it thank you so much